our world-renowned speakers about to begin. Uh, before he begins, I just wanted to say, I just came back from a lot of Amer, uh, you want to call it a party, I don't know, Yula. <coughs> there were about 500 people there. And uh, I was one of the founders of that place. It's a night seder program. And uh, it used to be in a guy's dining room, and then it traveled into his kitchen. I was learning in his kitchen. Some guys were learning in his living room. And then he built a base medrash. And then he started this little barbecue, maybe 50 people came, 30 people, 50 people, something around there. And slowly but surely it grew and grew. Today, they, they, one of their biggest fundraisers that everybody buys a raffle ticket. They put $100, they buy a raffle ticket. They raise like $50,000. And um, it basically covers uh, half the budget of the night data program I belong to. And on my way back, I was like, you know, I was a little bit nervous. This is our first time, our first, uh, first year. And like six years ago, where we started only with 20, 30 people, this year with Hashem, was, uh, this is our second year here in uh, Jackson, New Jersey. We started off with three families, Bliya and Hara, we've grown to uh, hopefully, by the end of the summer, we'll be 15 families. That's, uh, that's our goal. Um, and slowly but surely, Chavda Chavla Islay, we tell our friends how yummy the food was this year was chicken. Next year, Bezrat Hashem will be tongue um, or lamb. And uh, you tell your friends how amazing you know, the, you know, people come. They come for the food, they come for the schnapps, or it's, uh, whatever. They come to hear a speech. They come to get inspired. They come to hear me. <laughs> so, um, so you tell your friends, you encourage them to come, and you bring one guy, and he'll bring another guy. And as they say, that uh, it will spiral and snowball into a humongous thing. <coughs> In six, seven years, we will be... Um, uh, 500 people, and we will be raising many more than $50,000. But that's Hashem for a building and for to help people come and buy houses. But I'd like to thank Rabbi Moshe Suisa for putting this all together. This is his idea. He got one of his. He got one of his. And of course, uh, Rabbi Oman, who doesn't stop tirelessly. As they say in Morocco, blood bless to all those who didn't come. We're not going to start mentioning them, but we still have a few families that either they're not here during the week or they are busy in other places and work or whatever it is that they didn't come. So, uh, but a big yashakarach to Moshachayim who came up with the idea that said we're going to do something and he put his word, his mouth where his words, out of, he put his actions where he, where he spoke. And... Uh, <laughs> And Baruch uh, um, Hashem, he um, got one of his uh, rebbeim, who is world renowned. And so you go on YouTube, you watch his YouTube, you see that he has over 10,000 hits on shiurim to come and to give us a shiur. It gives us a lot of credibility that we have such a chash of a rabbi coming and give us a shiur. So uh, his Talmud Ramosha would like to get up and to introduce our um, rabbi. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Rafael. I'm not going to be giving you a long introduction. I just want to thank somebody who forgot to thank himself. It's Rafael, who's lending us his house, and who actually puts... <laughs> he's hosting everything, he's cooking for us all the time, and believe it or not, Rafael cooked this entire meal by himself. Wow. Wow. So we really want to thank him for that. And um, as you know, my, I mean, we've all heard stories, we've all seen Hilulot of Lagba Omer, by our grandparents, by uh, the previous generations, and Lagba Omer was always a very big Hilula. 
where we connect with uh, Tzadik, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. My grandfather used to do a Siyum Zohar and um, every like Bar Omer, and um, he, people in Morocco connected very much with him. Without further ado, Rabbi Kessin, please. Um, we'd like we'd like to honor you not to start speaking. Tonight is like Boimer, and uh, of course. It's after Rav Shimba Yechoi. Who was Rav Shimba Yechoi, really? It's an interesting story. <coughs> the story is uh, brought down, I think, in the Shifri Ari uh, by Rav Chaim Betal. And it, the story goes as follows. That the Ari was learning with his... Uh, does everybody hear me? Yeah. Okay. If you don't hear me, you want to move up? Don't be afraid, I don't bite. Oh, that's, that makes it much better. The story goes that Rav Shimba Yechoi, excuse me, the Ari was learning with somebody, a Talmud, on Shabbos. And as they were learning, uh, the Ari dropped his head. And it looked like he was sleeping. And the Talmud didn't know what to do. He just looked at the Ari and didn't do anything. And the Ari started mumbling. So the Talmud wanted to hear what is the Ari mumbling about. He's obviously sleeping and he's mumbling. So the Talmud put his ear next to the mouth of the Ari to try to understand or hear what the mumblings were about. And all of a sudden the Ari got up. And uh, the Talmud is, uh, of course, frightened. He woke up as Rebbe. And, uh, and the Ari was nobody to fool around with. In any case, see the Ari saw that and he said, no, it's okay, don't worry. So once the Ari said, okay, it's okay. So the Talmud felt better and he figured he's gonna be brave. And he asked the Ari, you know, um, what were you mumbling about? What, what was that? So the Ari said, first of all, I did not go to sleep. What happened is we were learning and I was mechaven. It means that I intended on Hashem. And I was It's Even though my body's here, I was able to ascend higher into a different world. It's whatever. And uh, I was approached by a malach. And he asked me, uh, what would you like? Whose shir would you like to go to? So the Ari said, the Ari said, whose shir? Who's giving a Shia on what topic? So he mentioned different Tanoim, different topics. And he mentioned Rab Shimon by Yechoi, he's giving a Shia on Pasha's Bolok. So the Ari said, I want to go to that Shia. So the Malach took him to the Shia of Rab Shimon. And uh, he listened to the Shia, whatever, and he woke up. So the Talmud was fascinated. He said, you listen to a shiba, Rab Shimba Yechoi, on Pasha's Bolak? What did he say? Like, what type of a Torah is it in Shemayim? That's what he wanted to know. Because here was a tremendous opportunity to find out. See, they are told him something incredible. He said, if I had 80 years to write down what I heard from Rab Shimba Yechoi, okay, or rather, if I had to write down what I heard from Shimba Yechoi, 
it would take me 80 years to write it down. So how can I tell you what Rabbi Shimon said? What do we see from that? It tells us many things. One of, one of them, it says, what was the, the command of the Sisre Torah that Rabbi Shimon had? It was awesome. That's the first thing. The second thing is, look, if you take a look at Pasha's Bolok, and you write out all the Mephoshim, right? Everything that was ever said on Pasha's Bolok, would take 80 years to write down, right? Take you a couple of weeks, the Ramban, the Rashi, you know, and so on, the Rashi, all the Mephoshim, right? The Rechaim and so on, right? It would take you 80 years to write down the Perushim on Pasha's Bolok. So what did the Ari mean? What the Ari was saying is a very important concept which most people don't realize. The Torah has a depth vertically down of which, can, which, of which we cannot fathom. We cannot understand really the amount of Torah that there is. Imagine in Pasha's Bullock itself, he could write down, what it, it would take him 80 years to write down on that one Pasha in the Torah. Could you imagine how much Torah there is in general? So this is where we, where we get the feeling of Rab Shimon Ba'ichoi, what he was Oisik in. He was Oisik in what's called the Sisrei Torah. <coughs> what I want to do is try to explain a very important question. Why does everybody go to Rab Shimon? I mean, there's probably a half million people there now, right? That's what they say, half a million people. There are two people that the Oilam, the Jewish people, go to en masse. The first is Rabbi Shimon, right? Half a million people there. And the other person is Rochel Imenu. Kever Rochel, right? Her Yodzeit, Yudal of Cheshvan. You have also tens of thousands of people go to Rochel Imenu. You don't find by anybody else that they go en masse like this. You know, how could they go to, you know, uh, Morris Mark Paylor, but not like this, you see? So the question we have to ask is why? Why do so many people go to Rav Shimon? Why do so many people go to Rokhni Menu? What is it that people, even if they don't know, you know, it says that clients will are Nevi'im, even though they're not Nevi'im, they're B'nai Nevi'im. Even if we're not Nevi'im, that ended a long time ago, but we are descendants of Nevi'im. And therefore, a Jew has an unusual property. He can somehow intuit, as they say in English, the right way, what the right derech of Kedusha is. It's intuitive. And by the way, from that, you have tremendous amount of minhogam. That's where they come from. Because different communities feel different ways to serve the Rabbanu Shalom. You see, it's an intuitive idea. And therefore, it's based in tremendous Kedusha, and that is why Minigis were Kedin. Why would it be Kedin? Because a Minig isn't a regular, it's not a Minig. A Minig is what Klai Yisrael can intuit. They intuitively feel that we should do this, except it's community-based. That's the only difference, you see. You have Sfadim, you have the Moroccans, Ashkenazim, Yekis, Germans, you know, everybody's got their own Minhagim, because they intuitively feel in many ways based on the church and shaman of what the right way to serve God. In any case, so that's the, two, the, the, that's the question I seek to answer. 
what is it about Lag Boima, right? And 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 the and the Rochli Menas Yotzeit, where tens of thousands of people go. That's what I want to try to answer. In order to understand this, <coughs> you have to have some background information to really appreciate what Lag Boima is. You need to have some background information. So I'm going to give you that. Okay? So bear with me. It's interesting. The information that will form the framework in many ways of understanding Lag Boima and why so many people go there. Why did the Rabbanishim create the Bria? Why does he create everything? The answer to that, Ramchal says, it's in the Torah, is what's called Lahetiv. The Rabbanishim created everything to bestow an infinite state of goodness on a human being. That's what he did. Why does he want to do that? It's unknown. We don't know why the Rabbanishim wants to bestow an infinite state of goodness on a human being. We don't know the motive of the motive, but that's what he wants to do. What is that incredible state of goodness that the Bunshin wants to give a person? And the answer to that, the perfect or the greatest state of all is called Vekas. In other words, it's where you are attached or you bond with God himself. That is the greatest of all pleasures. It is the greatest state of being that you could ever experience. We don't know what that is. That's the state that you get to experience in Edom Habal. But that's what it is. But the Bershom has to make a decision. Will he give you this attachment to him for free? Or do you have to work? And the answer to that is that you obviously have to work. And therefore that necessitates creating an Edom Hazer and then an Edom Habal. That's the concept that you have to earn. It's not a gift, it's a reward. And each of these ideas you can develop. But therefore, we are now stuck in a situation where in order to get this attachment, we need to work. The question is, what's the job? And the answer to that is, the Bershom creates a job. What is that? It's an interesting concept. He says, if the reward is that you are attached to me, so guess what? I'm going to make that the job. I will conceal myself that's called Hester. And to the extent that you find me, you see, to that extent, you will experience me. Mido keneged mido, measure for measure. It's really a very simple formula. You get what you earn, what you deserve. You see, since what you will deserve, what the reward is, what? Is an attachment to me. And therefore, you need to find me. And you get exactly to the percentage of what you, s the, uh, the amount that you seek is the amount that you get. To me, the connected me the formula. Fine. So therefore, the state of creation is created in a state called Hester, where the Bansham is concealed, and the, the state in which things would be what's called rectified or, or remedied is called Giloi. It's really called Tikkun. What Tikkun means is rectification, repair, restore, 
What it merely means, it really means it's to restore creation the way you once was, where the Bansha was completely manifest throughout the Bria. Anyway, that's the, that's the basic framework of structure. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we repair the deficiency in creation, which is a concealment of the divine presence? And the answer to that is that there are three ways. The first way is called mitzvahs. Without going into how and why, the mitzvahs is a vehicle, it's an instrument, where you can do the tikkun. So that's called a tikkun device, is a mitzvah. Second idea, what happens if people don't do mitzvahs? So the Bansham created a secondary way, which is called tshuva. If you sin, you are able to repent, okay? And as a result of the repentance of tshuva, you can also do the tikkun. But what happens if you don't do tshuva? So the third way is called yisurin, or suffering. Suffering in itself, it's not that it's a punishment. What it really is, in many ways, it's, it's another device how you could do the tikkun process. And therefore, all three, mitzvahs, tshuva, and yisurin, they are called tikkun devices. This is the basic plan. I mean, you can elaborate, obviously, on and on, but this is the basic plan. You know, there's a job, it's to bring the Bosham uh, to discover him. And by the way, when you discover the Bosham, ultimately he comes back into the Bria. That's what he does. And of course, the one who brings him back is the Mashiach. The concept of a messianic era is a concept that the world has reached its tikkun and the Bosham comes back. That's the process. Okay. But how does it work? How does the Bosham do that? What he does is very interesting. He creates what's called certain emanations or certain forces. These forces are called in Kabbalah spheres. A sphere is, an, we, we, don't, we, we don't know the nature of it obviously, but it's a tremendous divine energy. It's a divine force. And there are ten of them. And they create reality. The spheres create realities. So, they create different realities. But the interesting thing about that is that they diminish their output of Kedusha. Okay, so they start with the highest level of Kedusha, and then that's their output, and then they create Oyelim Habo. Oyelim Habo was the first thing created. Then what they do is they diminish their output of Kedusha, and there's a degradation of reality. Until you get to finally the lowest output of the, the spheres, it creates a physical universe called this world. Therefore, the physical universe, which is purely material, okay, is a result of the output of these spheres in its lowest form. Why does the Bansham do that? Because he wants to take the Neshama, which is a spiritual being, which automatically would experience the Rabbanisham. What he does is he puts it into a physical body, and because he, that Neshama is in a physical universe, it cannot experience the spiritual. Therefore, the physical body or the physical universe is basically a barrier to experiencing Ruchnius. That's how the Rabbanisham stops us from experiencing the entire spiritual universe. That's the purpose of the physical universe. So the question is, wait a minute. If the neshama is now encased in a physical body, how will it experience the spiritual? And the answer to that is very interesting. And that's what a tikkun device does. What the neshama has to do, which it ultimately does, is to 
retransform <coughs> the physical universe back into a spiritual, which it was originally. It's called the dematerialized matter. That's what it does. The Hebrew term is called zikoch. It's mezakech debrio. It removes the physicality, and as a result of that, the physical universe, now what's called, reverses itself to a higher level of spirituality. Again, it does that again and again, and the physical universe reverses itself or retransforms itself over and over again until the physical universe itself becomes so dematerialized that it becomes oilam habo. That's right. You wonder where Ilm Haba is, right? Is it up there, down here? Where is it? And the answer is, it's here. This is Ilm Haba, but it's completely physical. And what the Neshama has to do is so mezakech the Bria, it has to so purify the material substance that this world turns into Ilm Haba. That's the plan. It's interesting. It's a retransformation of a physical universe. And therefore, obviously, right, there's no more barrier. Right? Once you remove the physicality of the universe through a process called zikuch, which is to purify the material, remove it, transform it back into its spiritual matter, then there's no more barrier. How do you do that? Because in order to do that, what's the whole reason why there is a physical universe? And the answer is because the spheres diminish their output. So what these three things do is they increase the intensity of the spheres, and therefore the spheres now have an incredible amount of illumination and therefore the physical universe changes back into a ruchti. See, that's basically how it works. That's a very important idea and that's what a mitzvah does. If somebody ever asks you, what is the tachlis or the purpose of Judaism? What would you answer? To do mitzvahs? Of course not. Because the real tachlis of Judaism is to purify the physical universe. The way it happens is through a mitzvah. You see, a mitzvah is an instrument. It's a tool that does it. And therefore, the real purpose of Judaism is called tikkun, to rectify creation, to change it back into what it was. That's the whole game plan. As a, of course, it's far more than that. But that's the fundamental understanding of what has to happen. Now, what is this? Ruchni. You know, the Mashiach comes, right? What does he do? People think that he's a political individual, right? He frees the Jews, right? And now all of a sudden, we can all go there to Israel or whatever, right? It's a whole different place. The Jews are now free. They're no longer persecuted. Everything is great. That's not what the Mashiach does. That's, the, that's a tremendous mistake that people make. It's, a matter, it's not a matter of liberty that the Mashiach does. What he does is he removes the disease of mankind. What is the disease of mankind? And the answer is ignorance. <coughs> we don't see reality really. It's like a fog. We're walking around in a fog. And then once in a while, a little piece of the fog clears, you see? But basically we live in a fog universe. We don't see the ruchnius, the reality which is beyond this world. <coughs> so what the Mashiach does, right, is he clears the fog. And all of a sudden, we see a reality of which is incomprehensible. And this is the last tekuf of Ilm Hazer. I'm not even talking about Ilm Habor. What type of reality is that? I'll tell you what the Medrash Rabbah says. 
The Medrash Rabbah says in the end of Kohelas the following How great is the Torah of the Mashiach, which is the Messianic light? That's the all, 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 the all Mashiach. What is that? How great is it? So the Medrash says something which is, for us, it's almost incomprehensible. The Medrash says that the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, what's the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Shas, Bavli, Yoshami, Shukhanark. It's the hundreds of thousands of Svarm, right? That have been written over the thousands of years of Judaism. That's Torah's Moshe. So the Medrash says that the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu is Hevel, Luft, air, compared to the Torah of the Mashiach. It's astounding. We cannot even understand the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? How can we understand that this is Hevel, is, it's insignificant, it's nothing compared to the Mashiach's Torah. That he will reveal at the end of time, not Oilam Habo, we are talking about the last Tekufa, the last period of time of Oilam Hazer, which is very about, very shortly down the road. You see, <clears throat> what is that call? That type of look, perspective of creation, that type of understanding is the Or Mashiach. But now you, get a begin, you now you begin to get a feel of how vast it is. And that's what the, uh, the Apostolic in the, in the Novi says, that the world will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters covers the seabed. And what does that mean? That means the, uh, the, the appearance or rather the presence of the Bershom will be as obvious to you as walking, imagine walking in daylight with no clouds, a full sun, right? How obvious is it to you that the sun is shining? It's all over. In the Messianic era, with the, this type of orb, the presence of the Bosham will be so vast that you cannot even comprehend what that means. And the Giloi, the revelation of that presence, is the Or Mashiach, you see. And therefore, the product or the consequence of that revelation of God is Teras Mashiach, of which we cannot even comprehend. And now you understand what the Ari saw. 80 years to write a Pasha's Bolok. What is that supposed to mean? That Torah that he heard from the Rajbi, Rabbi Shimon Yechoi, right? That was the Or Mashiach in Shemaim at that time. You see? And now the Ari was Zoycha to hear what the Torah is going to sound like in the time of the Mashiach. That's a very important idea. <clears throat> you got to get away from this naive notion that we've got all the Torah and we've got everything. It's like an iceberg, where nine-tenths of the iceberg is below the water. You gotta stick your head under the water. You see, we have a, we have a uh, it's like a grain of sand, right? In, in, in the vast beaches of the world. That's all we have. But when the Mashiach comes, then all of this will be revealed, you see? And I wanna tell you something. And the Medrash concludes, so the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu is Hevel, is air, luft, nothing. It doesn't even have a substance connected to the Torah of the Mashiach. And then the Medrash continues and says that the Torah of Mashiach is Hevel compared to the Torah of Oilam Habo. Could you believe what this means? It's almost like the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah of Mashiach is infinitely greater than the Torah of Moshe. And the Torah of Oilam Habo is infinitely greater than the Torah of 
of uh, the uh, Mashiach. We, we, we cannot even massing of what's ahead. This is called the Orishan, you see. What is the Orishan? I've just given you the concept of the orders of magnitude of the Orishan. But what is it? The answer to that is that there's a certain concept that God did. What is that? He created a certain phenomenon which he invests in the physical universe and that's called period, separation. Yeah, we, everything is separate. You, the table, the, the house, right? Tom's River, Lakewood, Jackson, the, uh, the, the planet, the galaxies, everything is separate, you see. But what the Omashiach reveals is the achtos, is an unbelievable unification where everything is really one thing and all of it emanates from God. We cannot mastig what that is, you see. But the key to understanding the Or Mashiach is called Yichud, it's Achtos. It's an absolute unity of everything which we see as separate. It is now one. We cannot mastig what that is. That's the Orishan. That in the beginning of that Giloi is the Messianic light, is the Or Mashiach. And that beginning of that Achtos is so great, like I said, that the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is basically all period, is nothing compared to the Torah of the Mashiach. So this <coughs> begins to give you <coughs> what's called perspective, because that's what we need. We're, we're dealing with orders of magnitude that we cannot even begin to assimilate, you see. <coughs> Therefore, we now understand basically certain basics. And one of the important ideas is the Orishan. Do we have the Orishan today? Do we? Is it only in the time of Mashiach? We actually have some of the Orishan. Okay, what is the Orishan today? What is it today? Like I say, does it exist now? And the answer is yes. What is it? And the answer is Kabbalah. What is Kabbalah really? Kabbalah is nothing more than the study of the structure of a, the spiritual universes and how it connects to ours. It's basically a study of a meta, a meta, a meta reality, which is a reality beyond us. That's what it is. It talks about spheres, it talks about the union of spheres, partsufim, and so on, you know, and it talks about how all of that evolves and now that all of that produces the physical universe and our relationship with the Rabbanu Shalom through the mechanism of, sphere, of the spheres or Kabbalah. That's really what it is. Kabbalah is called surface orishim. You see, <coughs> the Rabbanu gave it to us as a tremendous chesed. In the end, however, what the Or Mashiach begins to reveal is the connection between this universe and another universe which is called the spiritual universe. And therefore what we see is how everything in the physical universe emerges or emanates from the spiritual universe. And therefore there's no more period. You see? So therefore it unites everything. Chemistry, physics, biology, all the chokhmas hateva, everything. Together with all the mitzvahs, everything. It unites it under one framework called the Kabbalistic framework that Rab Shimon was involved with. It's not that he was learning, he was involved with Kabbalah. He wrote the Zoya, right? Which is the fundamental 
primer or textbook of Kabbalah. So he says, you know, he's a, he won a, 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 one of the greatest Mikubalim. It's much more than that. He was Oisik in the Orishim that we have, which is called the surface of the Orishim. That's what he was involved with, you see. So we have a feeling of what's going on with this or. Now, the Boshim wants to bring the Mashiach, right? That's what he wants to do. So therefore, he now creates a man, a, f a person, Odomarishim. And his job is Zikoch, same concept. And he's given a mitzvah, right? Don't eat from that tree, correct? That mitzvah was the only mitzvah basically he needed, you see? Because the amount of presence of the Rabbanu Shalom at time of Adam Rishon was something we cannot even comprehend. And therefore, all he had to do was mezakech, a small little piece of whatever universe he occupied. Not much. You see? That's why he only had to have one mitzvah. You know? He didn't need more. He had to mezakech a very small part of the barrier between him and the Rabbanu Shalom. Had he done it, then he would have been Mashiach bin David. He would have been Mashiach. But since he failed, which he did, so therefore he had to give 70 years of his life to David HaMelech, because now you need a new Mashiach, because he failed. So the moment he failed, okay. So the next job, who was after Adam Rishon? The next people were who was Cain and Hevel. They took on the job of Tikkun. They failed, or rather, Hevel was killed, murdered, obviously. And Cain, of course, murdered him. So that was the next failure. But what the Bonshim wanted is that the ten generations after Odomarishim, they would be massacred, the ten spheres, all of them, and therefore the Orishim would have come down after ten generations. This was the plan. Didn't come down. What happened? Instead of the Orishim coming down, which would have been the Tikkun of mankind, right? It didn't come down, you see? Instead, what came down is something else. So again, in ten generations, what the Roshim wanted after Adam is that the Zikr should occur and the Orishim should come down. That was the plan. But instead of doing the Tikkun, which by the way, mankind could do the Tikkun in those days, it didn't come down. Instead, what came down was the reverse. Since they were so choite, so the Orishim became physical, it became a physical analog, which is water. Because Torah is nimshul So what happened is, as it says in the Pesach, the windows of heaven, right, the Arus HaShemayim, and the Tahoim poured forth water. What was this water supposed to be? This water was supposed to be the Orishim. Instead, it came down as water and destroyed everybody. Uh, the marble is the Orishan turned to water because of the terrible, destructive evil of mankind. Now you understand what the marble was. You see. And that's what it means. Since the Molor Dea, this world would be filled with the knowledge of God. Like the waters covers the seabed. Well, guess what? The waters came from the seabed the Tahoim, right? And it came from the Shemayim. Uh, and that water should have been the Orishim. Instead, it was water and it destroyed the earth. This is the understanding, really, of what happened by the marble. You see. But remember, 
it should have been the Orishan. But it wasn't. <clears throat> of course, at that point in time, the Bonsham gave the next ten generations the second chance to be Masakin, to bring a Tikkun to that ore. Okay? And after ten generations after Noyach, you had the Doha Flogo. You see? You had the generation, of course, of what's called the dispersion, right? Where he spread mankind all over. So again, it failed to happen. As a result of that, the Rosham said, the only one doing my mitzvahs or believing in me is Avram Avinu. So the Rosham did something which is spectacular. Until Avram Avinu, all mankind could do the tikkun. Everybody had the neshama of a Jew, except there was no such thing as a Jew. It was called mankind. All mankind could do the tikkun. So for 2,000 years, all mankind could do the tikkun. When they failed, however, ultimately, so the Rosham took away the ability to do tikkun, and he gave it from mankind, he gave it to Avram Avinu. So now the job of tikkun becomes a Jewish enterprise. It's no longer given to the Goyim. And therefore the concept of the Umus Oilam, the 70 nations of the world, began basically from that time. Because now the job of Tikkun was who? Was a Jewish job and Avram's descendant, descendants. And he took it away from mankind. Which is interesting. And that, that, that's why you understand the whole concept of a Pasuk, right? All the nations of the earth will be, uh, the earth will bless to you. Why? Because you're the only one that can do the Tikkun and change the world back into an incredible Rukhlistic state. <coughs> so therefore, all the nations of the world are dependent on you to do the tikkun. <coughs> Getting back to Noyach, you understand now what the Mabel is. The Mabel is nothing more than a change in the concept of the Orishan to a different analog and it destroyed the world. When did the Mabel, when was it supposed to come down? The Mabel was supposed to come down when? On Yud Aleph Cheshvan, wasn't it? Yud Aleph. Except Mr. Shelach died, right? So the Bonshim postponed the Mabel to Yud Ches, or Yud Zion, right? Because he didn't want to interfere in the Avelis of Mr. Shelach, right? So it happened on Yud Ches, or Yud Zion, Yud Ches, right? right? But really it was supposed to happen on Yud Aleph, right? He wanted to do it then. Like I said, if it wasn't for the fact that Mr. Shelach died, he would have brought it then. So therefore we see something very interesting. That Yud Aleph Cheshvan is the real day that the Orishan came down, right? But it came down instead on a marble. But it was postponed to Yud Ches. So both Yud Aleph and Yud Ches are called propitious. These dates are very masugal for the Orishan. And the Orishan really is the Gula. It's really what it is. The effect of the ghoul is the Orishan. That's what the Mashiach does. That's what redemption is. To remove the ignorance of mankind and to reveal the entire universe, right? That's the disease, is we're all ignorant. And that's why everybody thinks he's God's gift to the planet. But it's when the Orishan is revealed, that's when everybody understands what's really going on. So therefore we have a very fundamental idea. 
that the date of the oration is Yud Aleph, Cheshvan, or Yud Ches. Who died on Yud Aleph Cheshvan? Rochlemeno. Isn't that interesting? She dies on the day which was Mesugu for the Orishan. You see, why? Because Rochlemeno is connected to the redemption. You all know the famous Medrash, right? When the Jews were captured by the Babylonians and they were dragging them off, they all passed by her kever on the way to Babylon, right? And all of a sudden, uh, everybody began to pray from Rochel Imenu to save them. So the Medrash says, it's amazing, that everybody, everybody who's or who's who, you know, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, everybody, Shmulanovi, right? They were all trying to reverse the decree that the Jews should be in Golas for 70 years. And they all lost. The Bansham said no. Because the Din demanded Golas for good. Because that's how much the Avedi Zorah was. But Rochel came up in front of the, the Rabbanu Shalom. And she had a petition. What was her petition? She said, look, you know, my sister came over to me, right? And she was crying. I was the one who was going to marry uh, uh, Rochel. I was supposed to marry Yaakov. And Leah was supposed to marry Esau. But I said to Bansham, look, when Leah came over to me, I gave her the password. So therefore, when Yaakov Avinu inquired underneath the chuppah, and he said, what's the password? Because he knew that Lovin is going to switch me for, for, uh, for Leah. So I gave, I gave what? I gave the password to Leah so that Yaakov Avinu should marry Leah first. But I was taking a tremendous chance. Because Yaakov Avinu said, I don't believe this. You're part of the conspiracy. I'm not going to marry you anymore. So I put my whole self in jeopardy that I would never be a matriarch, an Ambi Israel, <coughs> because of the Rachmanus that I had for my sister. So therefore, I'm asking you, Mida Kenegad Mida, forget about the Din. You're right. Apidin, they don't deserve to have a Gula at all. But Mida Kenegad Mida, just like I was Merachim, on my sister, you be Marachim on the Jews, even if it's connected to Din. And she won because she didn't come with a tine of Din, she came with a tine of Rachmim, which she did. And she jeopardized her whole status as an aim, as a mother in Israel. So the Bonisham said, Fine. What do we see? So she reversed the decree of, of Golus to 70 years. She is responsible for the Gula. You see? So she dies at the time of the Gula, which is the Orishim, Yud al because she now becomes a symbol of redemption. You see? Klai Yisrael feels that, even though they don't know it consciously, that Rochel Imenu is part of the redemption itself. It is Hoschus, as it says in the Novi, Rochel Mavako Aboneo. And the Bosham says, hold your tears back. Kaisel knows that she is the, as they say, Mama Rochel. She is the one that's going to be Gol Yisrael. She's Mama Shtaltzchus, is the ghoul itself. And therefore, as a result of that, she dies on Yudav Cheshvan. And Kaisel knows that, you see. Now, I mentioned, that's why Kaisel goes to Rochel. What about Rab Shimon? Well, think about this. There's a Machlikas in the Gemara, right? When the, uh, when Rosh, when the Bansham created the world. So Rebbe Eliezer says that he created the world in Tishrei, right? And Rebbe Yeshua says he created in Nisan. 
right? Now the marble happened, right? In the second month, 18 days later. If you think about that, what is the second month, 18th day? What is the 18th month of the second, uh, the eight of the second month from Nisan? It's like Boima, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? Why? Can't we be sure the marble happened when? In like Boima, not by like Rabbi Eliezer. Because according to him, the Torah says that the marble happened when? On the 18th day, right, of the second month. But according to Yeshua, that's Eeyore, isn't it? It's like Boima. Isn't that incredible? And Rab Shimon died on like Boima. So according to him, the Gula really is what? The marble happened on Yudches, in Eeyore, like Boima, right? And therefore, uh, Rab Shimon died on that day. Why? Because he revealed the real beginning of the Zoya, which is the Om Shiach surface. You see? They both are connected to the Gulab. In fact, Rab Shimon was so great that in his day, there was never a rainbow. Why? Because there was no fear of a marble. He was able to remove you. In other words, if, you, if, you, if, if there's no fear of a marble, what do you need a rainbow for? Because that's, what that's what's supposed to remind the Rabbanishim, so to speak, uh, not to bring a marble. <clears throat> but Rabbi Shimon was massacred that, and therefore there was no need, there was no fear there would be a marble, right? Therefore you don't need a rainbow. See, so Rabbi Shimon actually did the tikkun, you see, of Geula, which is the Kabbalah surface or, 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 or Mashiach, and therefore, he dies in like Boima, because he also is connected to the Geula itself. You see, <clears throat> Klai Yisrael does what? They recognize intuitively that Rab Shimon is also part of the Geula. And that's why you have a half a million people going to Rab Shimon, which is incredible. <clears throat> so when you begin to look at it, it's very interesting. On Yudal of Cheshven, you have Rochel and Yudal of Cheshven, according to Rabbi Eliezer, was the time of the marble. And that's when the Orishan, the Messianic light, was supposed to come down. Instead it became water, which is the, the, the analog of the Orishan. So she dies on that day to indicate that she's a factor, she's part of the redemption. Rabbi Shimon did the same thing, except he worked on the Orishan, which is the Kabbalah. And to show you that he was massacring that, and that's why there was no rainbow, you see. As a result of that, he dies on Lag Boima, which according to Rabbi Yeshua is the day of Geula, you see. And Klai Yisrael feels both. And that is why in many ways, why Klai Yisrael goes to these two people. One is to Rochli Menu, because she is the one that's part of the Geula of Klai Yisrael. And they go to Rabbi Shimon, you see, who's also part of the Geula. It's amazing when you think about that. That's what Lag Boima is really all about, you see. And as a result of that, that they both gave their lives for Klai Yisrael, they're both Zoycha to be Simonim, to be signs of the Gula itself, you see. And I find it interesting that, in my, you know, I, 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 I learned so many, many years ago, I think the, the amount of people that used to go there is like, you know, 100,000 people. Now it's up to 500,000 people, you know. There's something happening. It's almost like Israel somehow feels that there are certain things happening, which w and that means that we are imminently, imminent, very near the actual Gula itself. And for anybody who takes a look at current events, what is happening today is beyond belief. 
anyway, there's a whole shit about that. But anyway, uh, you, what is happening on a daily basis, you cannot believe things that never happened before. It's clearly we're very close to the whole concept of the Mashiach and so on, you know. But in any case, this is the significance of Lag Ba'imah. It's a, really a day of Geula, of redemption. Because it is a day, Rab Shimon dies on that day because he was misakin, he rectified a tremendous defect. And that is that he brought Kabbalah, which is the Orishan in its surface level. He brought it to the world through the Sefer called the Zoya, you see. And really, that's what we do when we come together. And what do we do? Why do they light bonfires? They don't do that any anybody else's outside. I mean, you light a candle, like your outside candle, right? You don't have this massive fire because that's the ore. That's the origin. You see, that ore symbolizes uh, the whole concept of Lag Boima. That's why they do bonfires. You see? Anybody ever thought why they do bonfires? I mean, it's an interesting idea, but what does it have to do with Lag Boima? Because uh, Rab Shimon was all about ore. And that's why they light the bonfires. You see? Again, the Minig is based on the whole concept of what the day really is. And in many ways, that's what we have to think about. We don't like Boima. And that's why the, the, the Sphira. Yeah, the bows and arrows, yeah. That's why the Sphira is Hoichibahoid, majesty of majesty, you see? Because in many ways, that's what the Orishan is. It's the majestic view of the whole spiritual universe. And in many ways, that's what Reb Shimon did. Uh, and uh, bows and arrows? Well, the bows and arrows is the opposite of the, uh, it's like the rainbow, you know. So it means that uh, just like the rainbow, we don't need the rainbow anymore to protect us, you see. So they play around with bows and arrows. We're not afraid to play around with the bows and arrows, you know. Just be careful, don't aim them at somebody, you know. You know, uh, but in any case, uh, so we, we now have a, a, an understanding of the whole concept of of Yudches uh, Iyo, uh, which of course is like Boima, and even and we have even more. We have the whole concept of Yud Aleph Cheshvan, which is Rochli Menu, and now you understand another idea. There is no Yom Tif in Cheshvan. That's why we say Mar Cheshvan. There's no holiday of any sort. Whether it be a holiday, fast day, there's, there's nothing, there's no, there's no uh, day of Kedusha. Why? Because Cheshvan in the end of time will be the greatest Yom Tov of all because that's the Mashiach. The Messianic era probably will begin with Cheshvan. And therefore, everybody will celebrate Cheshvan. You see? So therefore, right now, it doesn't have any real, uh, it has no uh, Yom Tov. And that's why it's called Ma Cheshvan. But ultimately speaking, it will be the greatest of all the, the uh, months of the year. In any case, we now have an understanding of Lag Boima, what it really means, and, uh, and re in many ways what to think about of Rav Shimba Yechoi. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. The shir was Leilu Nishmat. Rafael Ben David, uh, Shlomo Chayon's uncle, sponsored the shir. Um, Khalifa Ben Shimon and Sultana Ben Israel are my grandparents. Abish Ben Yaakov, um, your grandfather, and um, obviously Abish Ben Yochai himself, yes. and all the Tanaim, 
uh, uh, of, of, of his time. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rebecca.